Well, hello, friends. It is glad, uh, good for us to be able to be with you here on uh, uh, Saturday night. Uh, we're coming live. Uh, we're actually sitting in uh, uh, part of my office here at the church at Trophy Lakes in Trophy Club, Texas. But uh, we also know we have been having friends from really all over the world that have joined with us through the various uh, different ways that we have broadcast this. This started out of the quarantine when uh, Kirk and I decided we ought to do something to really just minister to uh, some of our members here at the Church at Trophy Lakes. But then as we got on Facebook and it went around, we got a lot more people that are watching from different places, and we're grateful, grateful for that. And look forward to sharing some times with you tonight. Just want to be encouraging, give you some scriptural thoughts, some things to think about in your life. I am joined by Kirk Moose. MooseMinistriesInc.com. We call him the Moose, and uh, we're glad uh, glad to be here tonight. Uh, feeling good tonight? I'm feeling very good tonight, Pastor. Good. I'm very grateful to be here. I just thank the Lord for the grace and the mercy that He's shown us over the year, and uh, we I look forward just to continue to press forward in Him and to see what He has in store for us all. It's an exciting time. It really is. I don't look at this as a scary time. I look at this as a time of being uh, more um, uh, more full of opportunities for us to uh, be able to do some things we've never done before. Um, and it certainly is that uh, kind of excitement in our hearts. I want to talk a little bit about, in this time we have tonight, about how God changes uh, people, how he transforms their oh, life. Yes. And... Um, you know, I was thinking of starting this, talking about uh, when I came to the Lord and was converted, I guess, I became a Christian, uh, we'd call it. Uh, I was a senior in high school, and, you know, I was really on the other side of the track. I did not go to church. I didn't have anything Christian about me at all in my life. And I had this marvelous experience with a friend sharing Christ with me at school. I went down to a crusade, and at the crusade, I gave my heart to the Lord, went forward. James Robinson was the evangelist, and uh, it was just a powerful moment. I knew I was different. I didn't know everything. I didn't know theology. I didn't know any even how to open a Bible, but I knew that there was something different in my life. So I come back. My friend starts helping me. Uh, to grow a little bit. I go back to school, and, and when I'm back in school as a senior, they were announcing meetings that were going on for clubs at one of our break times, and they said, the Students for Christ Club meets in this room. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Well, when I walked in, you would have thought that um, a stranger had definitely walked in. They looked like, what is he doing here? And I got that real look about, you know, what, what in the world would Barry Klingon be walking into the Students for Christ Club? But while I was sitting there, uh, it was an amazing thing because it was one of the first times I really heard the voice of God speak to my soul. And uh, he spoke to me so clearly, and he said, thank me for these girls because they prayed for you. And I just held that to myself, and it was probably a month or two couple of months later after I started going and people found out what had happened in my life and all of this, the change. And uh, one of the girls that I know real well uh, began to talk to me, and she said, you know, it's a really amazing thing, Barry. She said, last year in Students for Christ, we made a list of people we were going to pray for, and we decided to put the person that we think was least likely to become a Christian <laughs> on the very top, and guess who was on the top of that page? And, and you know what that made me think about? That made me think about the Apostle Paul. 
because, you know, the Apostle Paul had a conversion on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to arrest and, and kill. Uh, you know, cha- chapter 9 of Acts says, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was consumed with this anger and hatred, and he was going after them. He had uh, permission from the high priest to go up all the way to Damascus in the north and bring them, drag them back, women, children, anybody. And the church was just, you know, this was their number one enemy. Well, you know, on the way there, a blinding light came and appeared, and he fell down to his knees and he heard the voice of the Lord, Jesus himself, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And he realizes everything in a moment has changed. And we mostly think of that time as the conversion and calling time of, of the Apostle Paul as he you know, came into a full realization that the one he was persecuting, by the way, he was persecuting the church. That's right. But Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And so one or the other, the same thing, we're the body of Christ uh, in the world. But it's really funny. Uh, after he you know, went in and a disciple named Ananias came over, laid hands on him, he got his sight back, he was water baptized, and then they started talking. Well, he couldn't stand it. He immediately went out and started preaching Jesus to the synagogues there in Damascus. And that didn't go over very well at all. And matter of fact, I, I love the story because it says in the book of Acts that he, he, his life was so threatened that the disciples said, we got to get you out of this town. Right. And they took him. And can you imagine just putting a grown man in a basket? It must have been a big basket. And they put the basket down over the wall of the side of Damascus and lowered him so that he could escape. Well, you know, everything comes in and out of the gates. But he was going out the, a way there was no door. I, I have a sermon years ago I used to preach called Paul was the first basket case, and he was definitely that. The Bible says he went to Arabia for three years. That's great. He wasn't ready. He needed to learn. He needed to grow. Matter of fact, he's going to have another period of time even longer when he goes back to Tarsus and spends. It took some time for him to really realize what all had happened to him. But think about it. Three years later, he comes back to Damascus and then down to Jerusalem for the first time now as a believer in Christ. And when he, when he gets there and walks into the disciples, here's what the Bible says in Acts 9, 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. No, he tried to join the church, you know, but they were all afraid of him and still did not believe he was a disciple. And uh, that, I, that, I really understand that point. It, not, nowhere near the same depth as Apostle Paul, but that very thing happened to me when I went into that Students of Christ uh, meeting there. You know, one of the things to talk about out of that is, you know, God is all about transformation. I was convicted many uh, several years ago about how the church has become a church today, mainly in the West, where good churches, you know, uh, good Bible churches, Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, Baptist churches, all of them really good churches. But we've all come to the place where we, out of our culture, we've we've decided that the way to measure effectiveness in our churches is by participation. Mm-hmm. Because you talk to any preacher, and he's going to say, "Well, I, how many did you have on Sunday? How did you, you know, how many people were there?" Well, I always call it the nickel and noses. You know, how much money did you take up? How many people came in? And that kind of becomes the barometer of how well you're doing. So I had a thousand, or I had three hundred, I had five hundred, or whatever. But with God. I'm convinced right. that it's it, the 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 way we should judge real growth is transformation, not participation. You know, have we been transformed in our That's life? Right. That's what it's all about. And uh, you know, I had that experience of coming to the Lord very 
much like on a, what we even call nowadays a Damascus Road experience. I was going one way, and, and basically as an adult, I was 18 years old, even though I was a senior in high school, and, and going this direction, and then just in one second, you're going the other direction, and the conversion and the power of it. But there are other ways people come to Christ as well, too, but, but it, and, and they are just as transforming. Kirk, tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to the Lord. Oh, man. Uh, some people don't even believe it could happen. But when I was four years old, I really, I walked into the kitchen with my mother one day, and I looked at her and said, Mother, what is it that's so different about you? Why are you so happy all the time? And I remember she looked shocked. She had this look <laughs> on her face past her like, what is my child asking me? <laughs> and she said, okay, Kirk, come down. Let me sit down over here at the table with me and let me explain what's going on. And she sat down and explained Jesus to me. Wow. And she said, look, when I accepted Christ, he gave me life. He gave me joy. He gave me a peace that I can't understand. And since that day, I've been full of joy and happiness. And she goes, do you want that too? And I said, well, yes. Yeah. You know, who wouldn't want full joy yes, and full peace? Yes. I'm like, yes, I want that too. And she led me through the prayer to receive Christ. And in my heart, I was like, Lord, I really want you. And so at that moment, I received him. But see, it doesn't just start with just a prayer. It starts with a heart decision. Yes. And it's not just a heart decision. It's also you're continuing in him. The word talks about persevering in him, continuing in him through hard times and persecutions that we're always remaining in him. Paul even says, I beat myself daily so that I may qualify, that I might even run the race. So the apostle Paul, who we consider one of the great founders of our modern church today, he had to qualify himself daily, yes. meaning he had to keep himself in check regularly. Well, mm -hmm. if he does, why would we not also yes. have to keep ourselves qualified? Exactly. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't want to talk about, Pastor, is that the Word talks about the Lord wants us to remain in Him, and when we remain in Him, our name won't be blotted out of the book. Yes. You know, by being blotted out at the end of our life, it says that we possibly could be turned away, and they don't want to think about that. But it says in the Word also that the Lord wrote our name in the book before we were even created, before we were formed and knitted together in our mother's wombs, that he knew us, that he wrote out our story. Mm -hmm. So if he's done that, he already knew who we were, how we would go. Yes. But that doesn't mean it's definitive. It doesn't mean, it's, right. it doesn't mean that he may know all the different paths that we'll take in life. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that that destination is set in concrete, that we can't choose a different path. That's good. That's very good. You know, I was I was thinking as you're saying that, because I came up. Uh, I didn't come up with anything. I became a Christian when I was 18. I didn't, uh, but I started. I joined a a great Southern Baptist church at that time, and a great pastor who discipled me and um, and uh, helped me understand some of these things uh, along the way. But there was a saying among Southern Baptists, and still hear it sometimes. And they would say, you know, once saved, always saved. And, you know, most of the people outside of Southern Baptist life, you know, would paint, just hate that, that saying because they looked at so many people who made some decision when they were a kid at a camp or whatever and went and got baptized and, you know, but they never really had any change in their life. And they'd say, that's false doctrine and all of those things. It's really interesting because uh, two things here. One, 
the history of the church, the great thinkers, the great reformers, uh, in a, uh, you know Martin Luther and others, and he came to that feeling that uh, came to that understanding that that you know a person's right with God by being justified by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted in him as righteousness, right. and he had that great transformation in his own life. I don't have to work for this. Well, obviously, that's not up for debate. We know Jesus paid it all. There's nothing we can do to earn. Uh, our place in heaven, and but when they, you know, later under Calvin started developing these doctrines of grace, it's really interesting. When it came to eternal security, what they called it was the perseverance of the saints. That's they didn't right. call it eternal security. They didn't call it once saved, always saved. They called it the perseverance. Just what Kirk's saying that that we will persevere if if if, if he is in, in us and doing that. You know, the other thing is uh, an experience I had years ago when I was um, in a church, and uh, a lot of people were coming into our church from a, from a. Um, I don't know, a Pentecostal, uh, a Wesleyan um, background that didn't believe in eternal security. In other words, they believe you could be saved and lose it, saved and lose it, those type of things. And so they'd always want to know what I believed, and I was trying to get people to think. I didn't want to use these little catchphrases that everybody kind of hides behind. So all these people come up to me and they'd say, well, now what do you believe about that once saved, always saved? And I'd say, I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe that. And they go, well, I knew you were one of us. I knew all along you were one of us. You're not typical Baptist. Well, then they then they get around to saying, what do you believe? And I said, well, I just believe once saved. And then they look, scratch their head, say, well, you know. And I'm just trying to get them to think that if you encounter the living Christ, come on, like I did, like he did at four years old. And by the way, I had one of my children uh, who, you know, I, being that how I came to the Lord. And how I, when I came to the Lord, went back to my high school and saw a bunch of people that went to church and thought, why didn't you ever tell me about how great this was? And I realized they'd really not had a lot of transformation in their life. And I'd go back and I'd say, well, I want my kids to have that definite transformation. But I watched one of my children have that transformation at a very young age, and I could not deny it, and uh, nor did I, that this was uh, real and genuine. So the, the, the issue is yeah. a transformation in an encounter with God that transforms you, gives you a new heart uh, in, in your life, and that new heart manifests itself in the way you live, the way you talk, the what you do uh, along the way. You know, I think the one example that I can see very clearly in scriptures is in Mark 5, where mm-hmm. Jesus talks to the demoniac. Mm-hmm. You know, at first, the disciples are freaking out because this <laughs> man, you know, he's cutting himself, he breaks uh, the chains, no one can bind him, and when Jesus talks to him, he says, what's your name? He goes, my name is Legion, for there's many. Well, Jesus commanded the demons out of him, and when he's free, he's set in his right mind, he completely is healed, and all of a sudden he realizes he's naked, so they give him some clothes to put on. Well, at the end of the the phrase, that, or the passage there, he talks about it. Well, as we read it, you know, we see the guy starts to say, Jesus, let me come with you. Let me travel with you. Let me be one of your disciples, more or less. And Jesus says, no. He refuses mm-hmm. them. And he says, no. Instead, go to your friends, go to your family, go to your community, and tell them all that God has done mm-hmm. for you and the grace and the mercy that he's had for you. He has such an encounter that Jesus had no worries mm-hmm. about the guy being refilled with evil spirits. You know, Jesus told his disciples the danger of someone being freed from satanic. uh, 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 (laughs) We're talking about demons, you know. Being, you know, being, uh, yes, controlled, controlled by by demons. Demonized is the best Um, word I like. Yeah, that at that point, 
if they don't get themselves right and be filled with the Holy Spirit, then they're in danger of being worse than they were before. Well, Jesus didn't worry about that. He, he knew that the yes. impact, that the encounter that he had with him mm. was so great that there was nothing that was going to take him back to what he had before. And that that's is, really what we're talking about. That is exactly what we're talking about. And, it, you know, I'd go, you know, you go to far, as far to say that kind of transformation when you have that, you know, it so defines your life. I know, I know you know, what took place in my uh, life. I, I can remember that night outside in a, in a Ingle Stadium in Chattanooga Historic Baseball Stadium. And I knew that night I, I prayed and got up and, and I knew something was different. I knew it was different. Oh, yes. When I came home, there had been a horrible storm that night. And as I was getting out of my car to walk into my mother's house where I was living, I could just stop for a minute. And all at once, nature itself seemed to be, uh, this sounds weird, but I mean, it was just, I just looked around, the raindrops were falling. It's like I could hear every raindrop. And I just knew something, you know, was greatly different. It was probably a month after that, maybe a couple of weeks after that. I was driving in my car and I was singing something. I want to say I was singing praise music, and I'm not sure, sure we had praise music back then. I was singing something. And uh, as I was singing it, the manifest presence of God filled my car and my 69 Firebird. I want you to know it was so thick and so wonderful that in a, in a way, it's, I don't know how to describe, I was terrified, but terrified in a good <laughs> sense. And I knew if I looked over to uh, my right, and the pastor seat, I was going to see Jesus. I know that he was going to see him because I knew he was sitting there, there, and I was scared to look. And I actually pulled my car over to the side of the road at Boy Scout Road there in Hickson, Tennessee. Just I know the spot. I pulled it over, and I just sat there for a minute and just absolutely was overwhelmed by that manifest presence. You say, are these things normal? Yes, they're normal. They're very normal. We're talking about having a cat. What, look what happened to... To the apostle Paul, he was called Saul before he was converted. Then he was Paul. But look at him; uh, the transformation took place from that experience, that encounter that God gave him. You know, some people might, you know, when you say that, say, "Well, I didn't have an encounter like that." And everybody wants to run to try to comfort everybody in their in their experience, and and that's that's fine because you know the Lord has many ways to do it. But all of them will equal. I mean, look at the testimony that Kirk's given here, four years old, but yet still yeah. very much remembering, knowing that this, you know, what happened at, at that time in his life. And, you know, I'm convinced of this because it's so transforming. We tend to rehearse it in our mind or remember it and go back to it all the time. I have to give credit to my good friend in high school. It was my best friend at the time. When I became a Christian, he heard about it. it. was getting all over school. You know, Klingon's got religion and all this stuff. And he came up to me. He said, I've heard it. He said, oh, you love the party too much. There's no way in the world this is going to last a month for you. And because he said that, uh, I remembered it was the 23rd of September. So on the 23rd of October, on the 23rd of November, on the 23rd of December, January, February, the whole rest of that senior year, I'd go up to him every time on that month. It's been another month. And I'm still, yeah. you know. And uh, now here, this this part of this part. This is very important as well, too, because you hear that and you say, wait a minute now, Barry, I've known you and you, you had not always lived perfect. You always, yeah, by no means have I taken some divergent roads along the way. And every time I took them, I knew I was taking the wrong road. And, you know, and you get down that road somewhere, you don't, you're not happy. You're not, you're not at peace with yourself. You know, right. and this could be a flagrant sin or this can be just something where you're doing something and going in a direction. I, I wanted desperately to go to a church one time that wanted me to come as pastor. I knew God didn't want me to go, but I really wanted to go because they had a uh, really nice church, and so, you know, it would be real prestigious. And, but the Lord was telling me, and I kept playing with it, and I kept playing with it. 
And I knew I had to, in fairness to them and with integrity, I was losing my integrity because I knew I wasn't supposed to go. You know, things, it can be little things like that or it can be, you know, actual acts of sin and rebellion in your life. But the wonderful power of this thing called repentance. Come on. Where we can turn from our sin and turn back to God. And immediately, the minute, I always like to think of um, repentance as a door. And when you choose, and repentance means nothing more than I'm going in a direction, and I choose to change my mind and turn around and go in another dire- the right direction. I mean, that's all it is. We made repentance out to be this ugly religious word, but it, that just means to change your mind about the direction you're going. And finally, you get to that point where you're going, I'm beating my head up against this wall. I am going down this path. It's wrong. I know it's wrong. And when you turn in that repentance and turn yourself from yourself or from your sin or from your direction and turn back to him, immediately everything changes. Yes. I mean, immediately God is not, you know, disciplining and correcting and pulling and speaking. Now you're on the other side. And uh, with God, it's not, I told you so. Uh, you should have never done You know, think of the prodigal son when he came home. And he found himself. He came to himself. He repented. He changed the direction That's he was right. in. He went back home to the father's house. The father didn't come running out and say, I told you you were going to lose all my money. I told you you would have a bad time. You see, you should have listened to me. None of that. He grabbed him and he hugged him. And, you know, in their tradition, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and robe on his back, all of those things. Think about this, though. He also It also says just before that happens, he saw him from afar off. Yes. And when he saw him from afar off, that means he was looking for his son. He yes, knew he sure that all that he poured yes. into his son would yes. come back to him. Oh, that's he good. knew that he yes. had trained his son the right way and that mm-hmm. there was going to be a moment when his son would come home. And, you know, I really believe that there's somebody out there right now that you you have a lost loved one that mm-hmm. you've prayed for over the years. Don't give up hope. Yes. Continue to pour out your love and your heart to them. Can, don't don't condemn them. Don't put them mm-hmm. down, but love on them. Show them the love of God and continue to pray for them. Yes. Be consistent in your prayer. Bathe it in prayer and let God bring them back. And that way you too can put a ring on their finger, but robe yes. around their back yes. and then love them back as they come back into the kingdom of God. Because here's the thing. God loves each and every one of us so much mm-hmm. that he's poured so much into us that he expects for us to reciprocate that to others, our own family, our neighbors, yes. our friends, our fellow believers, non-believers, people who believe like us politically and don't believe like us politically. It doesn't matter. We're supposed to love all yes. of our neighbors. Mm-hmm. It also would be even like this. In Ezekiel 37 God tells the prophet there, Ezekiel, to speak to the dry bones so that they can come alive again. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I a lot of times see people that don't believe like us, and we think to ourselves, there's no way that that person will ever come to the Lord. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. way that they can ever be made awake to God. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You can begin to call things that are not as though they are. Why do we know that? Because Jesus tells us that there's power in our words, that when we declare things on heaven... As they are in, as they are in heaven on earth, that He will bring it about. So we need to align ourselves with heaven, begin to speak what He's already declared, and then bring those things here. Yes, you know I'm sitting here thinking about stories of of that that you know happened, and don't don't give like Kirk said, don't give up, keep praying, yes. keep doing that. I, I when I came to the Lord, I was living with my mom and my stepfather my senior year in high school, and I was there the whole year of my senior year. 
And, uh, you know, I had been witnessing to my stepfather and telling him what, what it means to know Christ as your Savior. And he would look at me like I was from planet Mars. And sometimes I would say some things, and I knew he couldn't get it. I knew he wasn't getting it. And I thought, I'm so stupid to even be saying this. He's not interested. He don't. He's so far away. from This is never going to happen. And then I remember one morning I got up to go to school, and he was standing at the foot of my bed when I woke up. And uh, he worked a uh, late shift, and so he had just come in. But he was like, I've got to talk to you. And I said, what? And he said, I am absolutely going crazy. I've got to get some peace. I've got to find out what the answer to this stuff you're telling me is. And I said, well, I've told you so many times, all you got to do is give your heart to Christ, give your life to him. And he said, I just can't do that. And I said, well, if you want the peace, that's where it is. And we argued a little bit. Finally, I said, i got to go to school. And he said, well, what do I do? And I told him to go, go to the church where I was going. And I knew the pastor parked in his parking spot every morning at 830 and went to work. I said, you can catch him in the parking lot. Sure enough, he did. And thank goodness my pastor was coming in that morning. And he went into his office and led him to Christ. And it was just a, a glorious thing. So, again, I mean, how many times has that happened? It happened in my life with my friends that were praying for me but didn't really believe. I don't think that God could really save me. And uh, I've seen it happen with so many others uh, as well, too. And so, you know, you never give up because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what the next day is going to bring. Right. You never know how God's going to do a suddenly in someone's life. And it happens just overnight. It happened in mine that way. Now, there were a lot of things working behind the scenes up to my time of conversion, but it, nothing outwardly as big as what took place at that night and uh, yep. what people expected to see as a result of that. So, uh, you know, keep praying. Don't, don't, don't give up uh, on, on those that uh, you care about. And, uh, you know, I want to say this real quick, too, before, as we come to the end on this, that, you know, the idea of, you know, God, when he, when he saves you, when he transforms you, when he converts you, when he, whatever words you want to use there, it's a new heart. And I, I'm saying this so much today, people are tired of hearing me say it, but, you know, when you look over these last many years, we've, and I think we even said this in here, you know, uh, on one of our times together talking, but, you know, this racism has become such a big issue again today as it should, and we want to certainly yes. have no place for any, any kind of racism in our life. But I look back over my life, and I know I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we had race rights when I was a little boy in the 60s. And... You know, I look at it now, and I wonder really, you know, nothing really seems like has changed in all those years. And I think, why is that? I mean, we've got greater technology. We've got greater education. We've got more money that we've thrown at this issue for years and decade after decade and presidential administration after presidential administration and Congress after Congress. All this stuff we've done, and what's really, nothing's changed. You know, I believe that's simply because of this. I believe it's a sin. Racism is a sin. It comes from a disease, yes. sinful heart, that somehow another thinks someone's better than someone else because of something about the color of their skin or even the amount of money in their bank account or whatever it might be. And that's sin. And the only way you're going to change that is to get a new heart. That's right. And Jesus specializes in that. So when we preachers say Jesus is the answer and people say, oh, that's so simplistic. No, it's not. It's the truth. He's the one that can change a racist heart. As a matter of fact, tune in tomorrow. Uh, this is a, put a little commercial in here, Kirk. You know, tune in tomorrow at, at eleven uh, or watch it later. I'm going to talk about how how God changed a hater, and I'm going to use the yes. Apostle Paul as an example here. But how God changed a hater and how He can change you too. And uh, so we're going we're going to look at that uh, a little bit more detail. Uh, if you want to listen in on that uh, tomorrow at 11 or when it's uh, available on YouTube at our church website uh, trophylakes.org. And uh, you're, you're welcome to, to join in that. A lot more to say about these issues. 
Oh, yes, Pastor. <laughs> it, it's amazing how God can take a heart of stone. It doesn't matter mm. if it's racism or if it's hate against somebody, like you said, because of their status in life. Mm-hmm. And so many countries still have you know, class systems. And in our country, we don't deal with that. But you and I have both been mm-hmm. in other countries where yes. it's very obvious that there is still a class system and you're looked down upon according to your financial status. And it doesn't matter where that hate lies. God can take that hard stone heart and he can turn it into a heart that just gives out love and abundance. And mm-hmm. it's, it's an almost instant thing because he puts so much love in your heart that it just transforms every fiber of your being. That's And that's that's the change life. A new heart, a new start. Uh, that's where it comes from, and, and it's an amazing thing how it happens. I, you know, I was, I didn't think of some areas of my life that you know I had an outlook, a worldview of things. But when Christ changes you, uh, the love that is shed abroad in your heart yes. from Him is so amazing. It doesn't matter whether I've been in the backside of India, or down in Brazil, or the Amazon, or right. Africa, or wherever it may be. You come in contact with people, and you realize every one of those people are someone that Christ died for, that he loves. That's right. And you're there to love them and, and, and talk about how unique and special uh, they are. It's a, it's a joy to be able to do that. It's a joy to stand up as a preacher week in and week out. And it's not a job. It's a joy to be able to announce the good news That's every right. week. Does someone understand? You know, I always think like this, Kirk. I always think because of the way I came to the Lord, I was sitting in a it was not church. It was outdoors, a big you know rally going on in a baseball stadium. But I was in just one of a huge crowd, and James Robinson preached the gospel. And I, I know a lot of others were saved that night too. But I was, you know, that was directly for me. Everything he said spoke directly to my That's heart. Right. I remember going down to the infield and saying, "God, if what he says is true," and I didn't even know if God was real. You know, I was quickly believing that he was, you know, at this point. But I was saying, you know, God, if that preacher's telling the truth, I need what he's saying. And boom, the transformation was there. I knew I knew when I stood up, there was a difference. I knew it. And uh, so, it, and I've never doubted that since. And the cool thing is, is he continuously brings things to our attention that needs correction. Yes. So yes. if there's like an oh, yes. attitude or there's something yes. in our hearts that is yes. out of alignment, he will correct you. Yes. If you are spending time with him, he will quickly bring you into correction and say, you're wrong. That's not the way to think. Yes. That's not yeah. the way to do things. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been told even to go and apologize to people before. Oh, but definitely. <laughs> More times than I care to admit. Uh, you know, it's happened to me. Yes. <laughs> because so. he does that. Yeah, he, he will. He'll tell you to go go mm-hmm. and repent to that person. You know, yeah. go, go and apologize. Make it right and love on them. Or you can just be like me and, um, you know, get married and be the perfect husband, the perfect <laughs> father, never have to ask forgiveness, you know, because I'm always right. And uh, we know that's not true. And uh, Amy's on here somewhere. I don't know. She would amen that real quickly. So, yeah, you, you know, you do that. But it's a loving thing, too. It's a father, a father correcting a child. It is a... Uh, uh, you know, it's for our best. It's in our, our interest, and it's not just a uh, an abusive relationship right. by any means. It's a it's a feathering uh, uh, in our life of, of what we can become, and that's why you end up with the old saying about transformation. You know, I'm not what I used to be. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but I'm not what I used to. But thank God, you know, I'm not living back there like I used to. I have come into something different along the way in my life. Never making uh, perfection. I think as Paul said, I. I'm still striving to attain and to yes. get a hold of the one who got a hold of me. 
And uh, that's that's the lifetime pursuit yep. uh, that comes in relationship w- with Christ. Well, this is a good thing to talk about, uh, Kirk. Our thirty minutes is going by quickly here, oh, and so man, it's gone by. bring it into a to a closing. Uh, I used to have a worship leader sit on the front uh, pew of the church, and when I'd get to going along, he would get his hand and do it like this. And I asked him one time, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to tell you, bring that plane in for a landing. It's time to, to, to bring it on. I said, he, he didn't last long. Uh, you know, no, I wouldn't say that. But uh, it was definitely true. When you get going about these things, you don't realize how much time can pass away uh, when you're talking about things that are so, so very important. It's uh, been good to be with you, as always. I know a lot's going on. hope that uh, if you watch this uh, live with us, we can hear from you. If you watch it later, uh, be clinging at trophylakes.org. I so enjoy getting notes uh, from people and uh, hearing just what's going on in different people's lives. had some great questions that have come in uh, that I've been able to try to answer and help help some people understand some things. So don't hesitate to do that. Mooseministriesinc.com. Go to Kirk's website. It's got a place on there for prayer requests that yes. you can enter in and uh, get have any questions or anything like that. He'll he'll get back with you. I would also encourage you guys. Don't forget to continue to pray for the missionaries that are in the mission field. Many of them are still suffering. There's several of them that are. I mean, not every country has fully released quarantine, and there's a lot of different people around the world that are still having to live in a very tight, confined, so to speak, space. Um, Our pastor, Jose, they are still much restricted in the jungle. Keep them in prayer. I also have a very good friend in Colombia. They've been blessed to be able to minister to the people in the hospitals, to people in the the inner city, in some of the very low-income areas. Uh, I would say please keep them in prayer as well um, because they go into some areas where they're really, people are really struggling, and they really need help. Uh, So continue to keep prayer very much really in the mix don't let it go continue to press in pray for the people here and abroad guys we love you all god bless you thank you so much look forward to being with you again soon